leading that song before this lesson because I can't imagine more ancient words than the words found in the book of Genesis, which is where we're going to be studying from. Um, so if you want to open up to the book of Genesis, beginning in chapter 37, um, Genesis chapter 37. Now, I kind of joke those are the most ancient words that we have as far as God's concerned, but I like that song for a lot of different reasons just personally, but as it relates to this lesson this morning, I think sometimes I'm tempted to think that the Old Testament just isn't really relatable, isn't particularly helpful in a lot of ways, like maybe some abstract things I can gain. Maybe it's just cool to see the history of people that had a relationship with God. But I think as I was preparing for this this lesson and thinking about the character of Joseph, um, this man that lived so long ago. I mean, he lived in a totally different context, a totally different world in a lot of ways, different part of the world, um, had a kind of a different relationship with his family than I have and had a different relationship with his surroundings and even with God in a lot of ways than what I have. Um, I think that song reminds me that all of the words of God, all of these things that we read about are useful and have meaning and are important. And so as we think about some of this text this morning, hopefully we can find some of these lessons to be true of us. And there's a lot of different people here this morning, and I don't know a lot of you personally. Um, Some of you I know better than others. So I'm not sure where you are in your relationship with God. So I say that to say this. I hope that if you're a Christian and you kind of have a better grasp on your walk with God and like you feel like you know a little more about the Bible, I still hope this lesson is challenging and useful for you. hope you find it to be true from what you already know about God's Word. But maybe if you're not in that category, you feel like you're a little newer, you're still learning a lot, maybe you aren't a Christian yet. Hopefully this lesson also challenges you to learn something new, to see some something about God that maybe you haven't considered yet, and something about yourself that you need to hear and be challenged in. Because this guy named Joseph, he lived a a long time ago. I have no way of knowing exactly how long ago he lived. There's a lot of people that are smarter than me that have done kind of a lot of research and best guessed kind of this time frame. I mean, but we're looking at least, right, if we're in the year 2016, we're looking at least three, four thousand years ago, perhaps, Um, I couldn't tell you what I was doing three or four days ago, let alone necessarily what people were like three or four thousand years ago. But we have this story of this man. And when you think about the book of Genesis, maybe if you have an understanding of the book, you think about a few people. Think about Adam and Eve being the first people ever. And they have a really important kind of place in my mind when I think about Genesis, because that's where it all starts. Maybe I think about a man like Noah. Because, you know, there's a crazy story associated with Noah, right, about the flooding of the world and how he and his family are saved by God's grace through that. Maybe you think of a man named Abraham, or Abram as he starts, because really, in a lot of ways, if you're familiar with the Bible, he is kind of the beginning of what it means to be in a covenant relationship with God, right? And so even people way back here in Jesus' day, some several thousand years later, still call themselves sons of Abraham, right? And then he has some sons, and their names, you might think about Isaac, the one that was almost sacrificed, right? And then his son, Jacob, right? You think about him and his life. But Joseph actually, perhaps by content, is the most important character of the book of Genesis because he ends up having more time talking about his life than really anybody else in the whole book. 
Now, I'm not saying that makes him more important, but it's interesting that all these important characters, Joseph has the most said about him. And in fact, of all the important characters in the book of Genesis, Joseph is the only one that I can't find anything inherently negative said about him. I'm not saying he was a perfect man in that way, that he had no fault, but what I'm saying is Scripture, Bible, doesn't tell me anything to detract from Joseph as a person, as a, as a man of character, integrity, right? And so I wanted to talk about him and like maybe look at some of the things that make him so uh, admirable, that make him so godly and faithful, and try to relate that to us and see what we see in it. So with that said, um, let's start at kind of the beginning of what we see as Joseph's story, his life. And that's in Genesis chapter 37. Let's read a few verses here just to kind of get a grasp on Joseph and his situation. In verse 1, Jacob, his father, lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers, and he was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel that is, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and they couldn't speak peacefully to him. And so Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, uh, his brothers they hated him even more. And he said to them, Hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you, or are, in, are you indeed to rule over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So right off the bat, Joseph seems to be a son kind of a privilege, doesn't he? Like, he has a lot of brothers, but his dad looks at him as a favorite, you know? And so, I don't know if you guys can relate in your family to that specific situation. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. But to think about Joseph, you know, you'd think that he would be kind of what the, uh, the assumption is of a son like that would be kind of spoiled, braggadocious, kind of haughty, you know, just kind of like, I'm the best. And it almost unfolds like Joseph is kind of living up to that, doesn't it? Now we hear the story from, I think, kind of this neutral voice. And I think really what the scripture is relaying this is the facts. Like this is what happened, right? Do you think it was a wise thing for Joseph, knowing that he's favored, and he shows up to his brothers who already kind of don't like him because dad's showing preference, and he shows up in his like mini colored coat. And he's like, I had a dream, guys. <laughs> Right, And in this dream, there was some sheaves, and my sheaves stood tall, and all you guys' sheaves fell down in front of my sheaf. You think that's a wise thing for Joseph to do? It doesn't seem like it. 
if he has any kind of consideration for his context, right? And so the brothers are kind of like, we like you less than before now. Like we're, e- we're even less likely to be your friend or to, to, to care about you. And then what does he decide to do? Dream number two comes along. Hey guys, I had a second dream. And he tells his whole family, his mom, his dad, he tells all of them about it, right? And he says the sun, the moon, and then 11 stars, right? Kind of come and do the same thing that these sheaves um, did. It says that uh, they bow to the ground, or sorry, right there in verse uh, 9, we're bowing down to me, right? And dad is smart enough to connect the dots, and he's like, well, mom and I are the, probably the sun and the moon, Stars are probably your brothers. And so are you trying to tell us that we're all going to be bowing down before you? Not a wise move, Joseph, right? Because now, not only are your brothers upset at you and you compounded that, and now the one person who prefers you is hearing that like he's going to be your subject or subjected to your rule. Not a wise move, Joseph. You're not going to make a lot of friends in your family doing that, right? So why would Joseph do this? You know, you kind of ask that question, why? Why, why, why? And I don't pretend to have all of the reasons that Joseph might have thought that he was sharing this. But was it true? And that's what I can't escape, right? Joseph had a very unique experience having these dreams. And actually, as we're going to talk about, like seeing them actually come to fruition... But it doesn't seem to be to his benefit to have these dreams immediately, you know? Like, the dreams are kind of exciting just in and of themselves. If they're true, it's exciting to think, like, I'm going to be the boss. But what does that mean for right now? It means some difficulty for Joseph. It means some confrontation and conflict for Joseph. And ultimately, as we read, if we pick up in verse 12 and you keep reading... This moves his brothers just from, like, this dislike, this hate of him into action. They're going to act on their disdain for Joseph. In fact, as you keep reading here, it says, uh, let me see here, verse 12 through verse 17, Joseph goes to look for his brothers as they're out in the fields. It says in that text, in fact, that they're pasturing the flock, and he goes to look for them, and he gets help trying to find them, and he ends up having to go a good ways. And when he finally gets close to them, they see, his brothers see him coming, And they see him coming and they decide, we hate this guy, right? In fact, in verse 18, it says, they see him from afar and before he comes near, they conspired against him to kill him. I don't know, like, I've never been in a place where I wanted to kill a cousin or a brother or anything like that, literally. But apparently he had pushed them, his relationship with his father and the things that he'd been saying had just pushed them over the edge. We're going to kill this guy. Let's make a plan because we see him in the distance coming. We're out here by ourselves in this pasture. No one else is around. Let's do something. The dreams have hurt Joseph immediately. And so they said to one another, verse 19, Here comes the dreamer, or this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say uh, that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams right? The dreams are the reason that these guys wanted to kill. His own brothers wanted to hurt him because of the dreams. Bad move on Joseph's part if he's just concerned about the here and now, right? 
Let's keep reading here. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw it into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. I assume that maybe that's that colorful robe his dad gave him. The robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. So the way this story continues to unfold, if you read here, is that as they're sitting around with Joseph in this pit, stripped of his precious coat that his dad gave him, this robe, they're, they're just kind of sitting there chilling. And Reuben didn't want to kill him. And in fact, as you continue to read this story, Judah comes on the scene and decides, like, it's, it's not profitable just to kill him. Instead, let's sell him to some slavers, right? Some Ishmaelites are passing through. They know that they can sell him off. And so, in fact, the brothers heed that. They're like, well, we're going to just kill him. Why not make some money on him and get him out of our hair, right? And so they end up selling him off, and the slavers take him. What ends up being where we know he ends up going is Egypt. So the question is for us, I think, on this first section here is, Joseph as a young man, right? This text tells us that he's 17 in verse 2 has a family, has brothers who hate him. Why? Because of the truth. Now, there's a lot to be said about the dreams and all this stuff that we don't know about. But does that ever happen? Like, being hated for for what's true? Now, I don't know if Joseph had a hand in, like, making the truth unpalatable. Maybe he was braggadocious, but perhaps he wasn't. Maybe he just told it like it was. We can face that same challenge, can't we? Like, can't we face this kind of backlash? People don't like us and hate us and want to see us hurt because of the true things that we say. And you'd even say that probably, the way this story unfolds, these dreams had to have been from God. They had to have been. So an even more direct connection and application for us is the things that we say that are from God is it possible that those things might cause friction, cause people to, to treat us in maybe not exactly this way, but maybe similar ways? They want to see us hurt. They want to see us shipped off, killed perhaps. Perhaps it just creates a place where they're not going to deal with us. You know, it's interesting that Joseph wasn't with them when this flock was being pastured, right? But we see that Joseph has to deal with this in light of what truth he has shared. But did you notice that despite all of this, like in verse 13, for instance, the reason that he went to look for his brothers, Joseph did, is because his dad, Jacob, told him to go? Do you think that that sounds like an appealing task for Joseph? Go find the brothers who are busy working, who are a long ways off, who don't even really like you. But what does Joseph do? Right? He goes and finds his brothers. He does what his dad asks him to do. And so I think that's an interesting parallel for us. That despite whatever hate or vitriol might exist or strife or conflict, Joseph is willing to do what his dad asks him to do. And that's kind of a cool picture, right? For us, I think one lesson here is, yeah, maybe Scripture tells us obey your parents. Sure, that's fine. But who really is our father? 
who gives us truth, right? God. We need to be like Joseph and be willing to to listen to what he's telling us, to, to share the truths, to go the places, perhaps that are not ideal for us because God's asking us to go. And certainly the character of Joseph here, the 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 person that Joseph is, the integrity that he has, despite what it might mean for him, he listens to his father. Despite what it might mean for him, he shares the truthful dreams that he had. Right? Even as a young man, right? So in our youth, right, I don't think anyone in here is like exactly 17. But like society may view you as a young person, but this is the kind of young person that you can be. Someone who's known for sharing what is true despite what it means for you personally. And for some having the integrity to listen to those who are in a position over you despite what it may mean for you personally. And obviously that has application to God as we're going to see as we continue to move through this. So let's look at the next section of Joseph's life here. Joseph ends up, if you uh, move forward to chapter 39... Joseph ends up in Egypt. That's where the slavers take him. That's where these Ishmaelites take him. And they sell him off there. And so in verse 39, or chapter 39, verse 1, it says Joseph had been brought, um, had been brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down from there. Listen to verse 2. This is the key of this whole thing. The Lord was with Joseph... And he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake." The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Joseph is sold off by his own family. And he's given more responsibility and prestige as a slave than he was as a brother and a son. That's kind of an interesting thing there. And so... What we see in this is just as Joseph was like faithful to his father as a young man, he was willing to speak truth despite the circumstances or the context, even as a young man. He continues to be that sort of person even when like he's suffering. Sometimes when I suffer, I tend my worst qualities tend to come out, you know? Like I get more impatient, and I get more like frustrated. And I get more hurtful and I get more conniving or more, you know, whatever. Insert whatever negative quality that you can imagine. But Joseph is the type of person, has the type of character that under stress, he only flourishes. He only blossoms. Like God's work in his life is only more evident in those circumstances. Am I that type of person? You know, like, so to speak, when I'm, when things are going bad and I'm, in the company of my enemies and I'm not in control? Do people see the Lord's hand in my life more than ever or less than ever? Right. And now certainly, I don't want to diminish this text that God is using this for sure. Like This was God's specific plan for Joseph and he was had a special hand in making him flourish. But I think 
Scripture teaches us, right, through trial and persecution, the fire should refine us as Christians. It shouldn't burn us up and be found as chaff, right? We should come out as something better than we were before. And Joseph is proving that that's true. Even though Joseph didn't know what we know about the whole Bible plan, right? Like if you look at your Bible, like Joseph's way over here, and he doesn't get to know about all this stuff, right? But Joseph still was able to manifest the character that God is going to reveal is exactly what he wants, right, through time. And so Joseph is impressive in this. Um, he's put in a position of power by this, this Potiphar. But you know what ends up happening? You know, this isn't where his story ends. It's not like he gets to just stay here forever. What ends up happening is trial, temptation, um, betrayal, lies, all afflict Joseph in this time. It's almost like right when he feels like he's kind of probably peaking, some bad stuff happens to kind of bring him back down to a place where he's under stress again. In fact, the man who put him in power, Potiphar, his wife starts to take notice of Joseph. And so she makes plans to try to sleep with him on multiple occasions. And Joseph's response to that throughout this whole thing um, in verse, uh, let's see here, verse 6, right? Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, so who takes notice? His master's wife. And it says in this text that her eyes were on Joseph, and she said, lie with me, but he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, or he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. The integrity, the conviction that Joseph has is something we all need to mimic. Um, I don't know how jo old Joseph is at this point. Um, maybe he's 17 still. Maybe he's 20, 25. I have no idea. We know a little bit later in this story as we move forward that another time signature is that he's 30 years old later. So this has to be between 17 and 30. So for me, I'm 26. Maybe he's my age. Um, am I the type of person that if I were put in Joseph's shoes would have responded like this? In this text, are you left with the impression that this is the right thing for Joseph to do or the wrong thing for him to do? Right, just from this text, Joseph is doing the noble thing, right? That just like culturally, like that's another man's wife, he's a slave, right? But God has been favoring him, God has been blessing him, so perhaps Joseph might say, well, this is, maybe God's blessing me with this, right? Can't you see someone kind of taking that angle, like, hey, this, you know, God's been with me, maybe this is a reward for all the like hard work I've done, Right? Certainly, sometimes we tend to interpret things that way. We tend to take the good and right things and skew them because it's the things we want or we're tempted by. And Joseph doesn't have a kind of character that would do that. Joseph knows what is right, and he's convicted by that. All right, so Joseph makes a stand, right? He says, I'm not going to do this. So she gives up. 
Well, that's not really how the story plays out. In fact, it says day by day she continues, right? Isn't that how temptation works? Like when something is actually tempting you, not just a thing that like you have no regard for, like that's not a real temptation. That's just like a annoyance usually. But when something is like actually tempting to you, are you strong enough to turn it down once? That's a legitimate question. Like just to turn it down like once. That can be a struggle, right? But are you strong enough to turn it down all the time? I know me personally, I've been strong enough to turn things down once sometimes. Sometimes I'm not even that strong. But most of the time I'd say I can turn down a temptation once. But if you're going to tempt me with that thing day in and day out, am I going to look like Joseph or am I not going to look like Joseph? We need to look like Joseph and he shows us how we need to be. So ends up being that he never sleeps with her, but in an effort to flee her, like he literally runs out of a room and leaves a shirt behind. She uses that to say, look, the shirt's in here. He tried to force himself on me. And of course, being a slave, he has no power. And so he ends up being thrown in prison on a false accusation. And through that time, can you imagine what Joseph might've been thinking? Oh man, serving God is the worst. Like it's gotten me in prison. It's gotten me in Egypt. If I wouldn't have talked about those dreams that were true and from God, and if I hadn't have been so noble and just slept with her, maybe this wouldn't have happened, right? In fact, he's in prison and two other servants of the Pharaoh get thrown in prison too. And guess what happens to Joseph again? He has an opportunity to talk about more dreams. Do you think the second time he's going to be as keen to talk about dreams as he was the first time? Don't you think he's thinking in his head, is this going to do as much harm as the first time if we talk about this? Look with me in this uh, section here in chapter 40. Chapter 40. Look at verse 7. So he, being Joseph, asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house. Why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, these two guys that have been thrown in prison, we have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. Look at what Joseph says. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Joseph, despite his past experiences with dreams getting him sent to Egypt as a slave, he's still willing, still willing to do the work of God, despite a kind of negative experience, I would say. You know? Like, how many of us are willing to do God's work when we stuck our neck out there and done it once and it burned us? so to speak, right? Have you ever done something that you felt like God wanted you to do? You knew like in scripture, like, wow, I should really help that person or help in this situation. And you feel like you got burned from it. Are you as eager as Joseph is to step in again? Like he's already in prison. How much worse can this get? Like if I blow it again, like what's going to happen if I'm already in prison, right? Maybe they're going to kill me. But Joseph, being the man that he is and who he's forming himself to be, is willing to take that risk because the interpretations belong to God and not to him or anyone else. So moving forward from that, Joseph interprets the dreams. Truthfully, despite the bad news he has to give one of those guys, that that dream means that when he interprets it, actually this interpretation says you're going to be killed. He gives it truthfully despite... Maybe a temptation not to share that scary message. 
I think there's a lesson for us in that as well. Do you share messages that are difficult if they're true and from God? Are you still willing to share them? So one of those guys ends up being killed just as Joseph interprets the dream from God. The other guy ends up being restored to his position just as Joseph interprets. And he asks that guy, he says, hey, when Pharaoh, when you talk to Pharaoh, tell him about me. Tell him I helped you with this dream. Let him know about me. And you know what that guy does? Totally forgets about him. So Joseph's still stuck in prison, having helped these two guys understand their dreams. And there's no light at the end of the tunnel. What happens when you serve God and people don't give you credit? How do you feel about that? You know? Like people don't acknowledge that you were useful to them or you got them to where they're going or you shared the truth that they needed to hear. Do you despair? Is all hope lost? Or like Joseph in chapter 40, does he just kind of keep waiting? Keep trusting in the Lord. So he's been falsely accused and been sent to prison. He's been falsely um or sorry, rather, he's been forgotten by people, right, that he helped because God wanted him to and gave him insight. And so you might ask this question. Can't you, you ask this question, and can't you imagine Joseph asking this question? Why bother being godly? Why bother being righteous? Why do God's stuff? Why be a servant to God? He gave me dreams that made my brothers hate me. They ended up selling me to Egypt. I thought he was on my side there for a while, but then what did he do? He sent me someone that just falsely accused me and put me in prison. Well, okay, well, maybe I can convince myself that that was God's will because I was supposed to interpret these dreams and get out of prison. But no, actually, the guy just forgot about me after I helped him out, and so now I'm still stuck in prison with no like seeming way out of here. Why even bother serving God? You know? Do you guys ever feel that? Like if you go through a sequence like Joseph goes, like you feel like it's like up and down a lot and you end up a lot lower sometimes than you expect to end up. And you ask yourself that question, why am I doing this? Why is this worth it? Joseph never like asks that question in the text, but you can imagine him asking it, can't you? Like if he's a human being, he's going to wonder that probably at some point. But... Despite maybe him asking that question, we have no reason to believe that Joseph ever faltered in his integrity, wavered in his faith. And I think that's the model. That's why Joseph's important is because there is some bad stuff that happened to Joseph. And scripture doesn't really like cover that up and doesn't try to curve that and make that polish it or anything. But Joseph's a story for us that we can commend and be encouraged by because he doesn't waver despite that stuff. And I think in a lot of ways God uses Joseph as like kind of a type or a model of how Christians can play out. Like all these applications we're making are certainly true of us today. But what ends up happening to Joseph is somebody does eventually remember because Pharaoh has a dream. And he says, can anyone interpret it? And that guy goes, oh yeah, there's this guy in prison that helped me with my dream. Let me go get him. And he comes up and he interprets the dream for Pharaoh and he tells him about how there's going to be a famine, but how then there's going to be some years of plenty. So how he should economically deal with that, right? And Pharaoh ends up 
bringing him up, making him like second in command, restoring him all this honor more than he ever had before. And he ends up essentially being kind of like a co-ruler with Pharaoh, more or less. And you remember those brothers who hated him and sold him off? The famine hurts them. And so they find out that Egypt is the only place that was prepared for this famine, which they don't realize is because they're brother. And they come to, to Egypt basically to ask for food. And who ends up dealing with them? Who ends up being the guy that they talk to but their own brother Joseph? But the thing is, at least 13 years have gone by. They don't even really recognize Joseph. Can you imagine how different Joseph looked? Like just his age, like maybe how weathered he might look having gone through all of this. Just like, you know how people go through stuff, they just look different. Being an Egyptian surely probably made him look a lot different in a lot of ways. They don't recognize him. You fast forward this story a little bit. Joseph uses that, uses the fact that they don't recognize him to kind of test them to see if they've changed at all. If they're the same miserable brothers they were before or if they've grown up, right? And there's a lot of details of that testing, but basically what ends up happening is they have to go, he says, go get your dad and bring him back here. I want proof that your story's legit. Like, I want to know. Like, so just bring him, bring, go back home, bring him with you. Stuff happens between that, but what he ends up doing is once they're all there and he's seen that they actually have grown up, that they seem to be remorseful and compassionate towards their new youngest brother, like they weren't to him. You get to chapter, I believe it's uh, 45 here. After they're begging Joseph to release their now youngest brother, right? Joseph's gone. They have a new youngest brother. They're begging him to release him because Joseph's kind of using him as collateral. And he sees how they've changed. And look at what it says in verse 1 of chapter 45. Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. Remember, they still don't know, recognize him. They still don't know who he is. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when, he, when Joseph made himself known to, to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So jo Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive uh, for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus your son, your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. 
And Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. It's a beautiful picture of kind of a restoration, um, a reconciliation. And so the question that I want to ask you guys, and it's maybe a direct application, is despite serving God through his youth and through his manhood and the questions that may have come with that, despite all those questions and hurts that have come with that, what's Joseph's outlook? This has been by God to be useful, right? He's actually brought me here not to like for death, not for hurt, but so that I could preserve lives. And he sees that in the famine, right? What kind of man has that perspective after experiencing everything that he's experienced? You know, what kind of person keeps that outlook? One, a person of faith, right? Someone who acknowledges that God actually like knows more than they know and can work in any circumstance or any situation. But also, a person not only that maybe intellectually acknowledges that, has committed to living with a, a life that's in accordance or reconciled with that reality. No matter what situation I find myself in, if I can intellectually know that God is capable and willing to work in that, then I can live in a way that thinks like this. I can live positively. I can do the work that comes to me despite the seemingly negative things that it may bring for me or the people around me, my circumstances. It may take me to places I don't necessarily want to go, Egypt, Right? It may put me around people that are not my blood family. It may put me around people that are culturally as far away from me as they could be. It may put me in circumstances that I feel inadequate in, prison, as a slave, maybe even inadequacy in being a ruler, right? Language barriers, all these other things. But if Joseph didn't believe this about God, this story would have played out a lot differently. And I believe that 100%. So the question is, do you believe that about God? Through the ups and downs, are you willing to speak the truths of the Lord, to trust that He knows, right? Just as Joseph knew that God interpreted and gave truth, do you trust that God interprets and knows how your life needs to go? Do you trust that even in the peaks and the valleys, that God is doing something with you in the truths that He shared? And ultimately... I think maybe the greatest shadow as we can relate to Joseph is how he shows us Jesus, right? I mean, think about it. He was a prophet, so to speak, right? He had all these dreams that he interpreted. He had brothers who hated him, who sold him for money into slavery. He ended up being the salvation of nations. I mean, like, people just flocked to Egypt to be taken care of. Multitudes of nations did that. It wasn't just uh, Jacob and his family. Isn't that a picture of Jesus? If there was ever anybody betrayed by his brothers, it was Jesus. If there was anybody sold out by his brothers for money, right? It was Jesus. If there was ever anybody that knew what it was like to live in a place that was not who they are, it was Jesus, right? To come to earth and to be with us. If there was ever somebody who had to go through some really low points, the lowest point, and still could keep this mentality that God was using it to preserve life. Jesus' own death preserved life. 
And ultimately, right, as all the prophecies in the New Testament seem to speak of, nations and nations and nations can flock to Jesus for preservation and salvation because God had placed him in a position to give life because of his faithfulness and his character of who he was. And so Joseph is important to us to see application, but really Joseph is important to us because he points us to Jesus. He's important and he's useful for us to model after because it looks like he looks like Jesus, doesn't he? And so when you read the Old Testament, these stories that seem so distant and far away, and they're definitely ancient words, right, like we sung about, look for Jesus and look for how we can mimic that in practical ways. Joseph shows us practically what his circumstances were and how he still looked like Jesus. And so hopefully this lesson has been helpful for you. Our, our scripture was 1 Timothy 4, 12. Um, it specifically says in your youth, and I think that was useful for uh, Joseph at the beginning especially, but just focus on the back half of that verse where it says, an example to the believers in word, conduct, love, uh, in spirit, faith, and purity. That's Joseph. And here we are when Timothy is being written to probably 2,000 years later at least, maybe three. Paul is saying those are the exact same things that Christians still needed to be living by. And so I'd encourage you um, today, wherever you are in your walk with God, walk according to the word, right? Be an example of that. Walk according uh, in love, walk in the spirit, walk in faith, and ultimately walk in purity. And if you're lacking any of those areas, um, I'd be happy to help you. Anyone here would be happy to talk with you, pray with you, whatever. But this song that Stephen's going to lead us in is really an opportunity to reflect on the words of the song in light of this sermon and ask yourself the question, am I living in a way that God would be proud of me? Am I living in a way that God is working and is evident? Think about that while we're standing and singing.